0: Let's see uh this is a special edition of Serie A down We are on hiatus from our normal podcast because the season's over, obviously, but uh, we always talk Calcio. and we you know we talk about all Calcio stuff, and, and we have a very special guest on this episode here today. Um this time it's a book involved. We're gonna get to this book that I'm very excited to come out here very shortly. Uh, with us, our guest is a football writer, social media producer for Premier League. Please welcome to the show, Tom
1: Underhill. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's a uh, yeah, pleasure to be here. Thank you for thank you for inviting me on.
0: Yeah, no, no, we're we're thrilled to have you on. Uh, obviously, I was talking about a book as at the intro of this, uh, your new book coming out, "The Working Hands of a Goddess: The Tactics, Culture, and Community Behind Giampiero Gasparini's Atalanta." Fascinating topic. Obviously, Atalanta is a team. You know, from a neutral standpoint, very entertaining to watch the inner workings of what Giampiero Gasperini's really done. Under his uh, tutelage, there—it's fascinating stuff. I gotta ask you though, why Atalanta?
1: <laughs> so it's a—it's a bit of a—it was kind of an accident, really. I was—I was, I was uh, watching. I, I tuned in to watch the Europa League in 2017-18. So that would have been Gasparini's second season in charge. Um, And the only reason I tuned in to watch was because uh, Everton were playing in it. And I'm not an Everton fan, but it was the the year that Everton had made quite a few kind of really interesting signings. Um, They'd brought in... It was like the infamous summer that they brought in loads of number 10s. (laughs) So it's like they brought brought Rooney in, Sigurdsson in. um, Oh God, uh, Michael Keane at centre-back just spent tons of money that that they got from the Romelu Lukaku sale. So it, it was from a kind of neutral perspective, it was quite interesting to see what they do and where they go. Um, and yeah, saw they were playing on a random Thursday night. I didn't really have an intention to watch it, but I just thought I'd stick it on uh, against uh, little old Atalanta. N- knew they were a Serie A team, but again, couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have named a single Atalanta player before the match. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and I watched it and they were playing at the, at the Mapai Stadium, obviously Saswoldo Stadium because uh, mm-hmm. the, uh their ground wasn't fit for European purpose at the time. And yeah, watched it and I kind of started off half watching it and then Papu Gomez cutting on from, from the left into that left half space and curled one right in the top corner. And I was like, wow. <laughs> good, <laughs> like who who is this guy? Like <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Um and then I just watched and I think I I believe it was Brian Cristante got the other two as well and it was just an unbelievable performance like it was just it was so fun it was just so entertaining it was like it was quick it was end-to-end the pressing was like that was like the period where gasperini's were yep. like that absolutely like pressing peak before the kind of the average age kind of ticked up towards 27 28 this was like the young yeah the youngest kind of iteration so they just all just ran and ran and ran and it was it was just brilliant and Ever since then, I was like, I need to keep an eye on this team. And then they, they obviously went to went to Goodson Park and won five yeah. one. But that was I actually found that was almost a it was slightly less impressive that performance. The one yeah. the one in um, the home the home kind of yeah on the three 0 that was the that was the absolute like peak of it. And yeah, ever since then wanted to write about them and study them as much as I could. And then the the, the opportunity came where I thought I've, I want to there's a there's kind of a gap in english-speaking kind of football publishing about atalanta and it's just a story i just love i love always love talking about and telling people about it and saying about how great they are so to get it in a book was like the the kind of the pinnacle and uh yeah, here we are some like five years later. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because
0: slowly, in, even even at that point when that result, people still didn't really open their eyes to Atalanta, and then eventually their eyes would really get opened up as the years went on. But before we get into Atalanta, let's tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, what's your background? Where, you came from, where, where are you living it right now? Uh, just so they can get a hold of who you are, and then we'll get more back into the book.
1: Right. So I'm, uh, I'm 23. Um, I finished university... For fully last year finished a master's degree in um research journalism and uh while i was doing that while i was doing that degree obviously it was a year affected by the pandemic and stuff so it wasn't a normal university year like what yeah, I it, was, it was a bit of a culture shock like <laughs> um, so i i set up a, a football website with three three other writers called first time finish and we kind of grew that up to a, a really good, really good level and kind of writing is about really niche topics and um, interviewing like coaches and agents and people behind the biggest players and really putting like the idea of putting like high quality writing, but it not being behind a paywall. Like that was always. Great right. like analysis good. on that website for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. very, very proud of it. And the other two, the other two guys are, fantastic writers They're absolutely really really great writers um and yes yeah, so we've we're running that for the best part of two years now and then um my actual job is i, I work as a social media producer for i uh, freelance but i work with uh work with the premier league so I, I help run their their twitter their match day blog instagram all that sort of stuff um so i'm fully immersed in football <laughs> all the time it, non-stop it's kind of relentless but um yeah that's and that's uh yeah and then and then kind of the writing is like my kind of passion and hope, would love to turn it into a you know turn it into a job one day soon as that would be the dream but yeah anything in football i'm uh involved in basically <laughs> beautiful Beautiful, beautiful.
0: Uh, and speaking of beautiful, uh, Atalanta, this book that you're writing about them, I, I'm sure you discovered a lot about them. This club, it, it was, they were probably went like 26 years or something without a European competition, and then finally, you know, once Gasperini comes aboard, they kind of um, get into Europe and then become like almost a stalwart in there up until this year. Um, Giampiero Gasparini, um, Many people knew about him, at least in a Serie A circle. I certainly knew about him. Uh, you know his previous uh, stops at Genoa and Inter and stuff like that. We we knew about him. What we knew is he was good at developing youth players. Um, what did you find out in your research uh, of this book about Giampiero Gian, Gian Gasparini that maybe you didn't know, or maybe some of our our listeners or watchers didn't wouldn't know about uh, Giampiero Gasparini?
1: Well, I think the, one of the first things I really found out, and this was just through interviewing people and just, and, and just involving yourself in kind of this, like, kind of uh, like Italian football fan circles, was just how divisive he is. As in, there, there is no middle ground. People either love him yes. or they despise him. Like, and they revel. I think a lot of fans would, would really want to and would want to enjoy Atalanta, particularly when they're in Europe but couldn't because of him that like, like Inter Inter fans, hate him. Milan fans hate you him. To him. Fiorentina fans hate him. There are sections <laughs> of like Genoa fans that hate him. Palermo fans hate him. Like it's, it's just, it's incredible. Like he's so <laughs> divisive. And I think he's one of those, like, it's probably only Atalanta fans that really kind of like, maybe, What do,
0: th- do you think the fan, ba- other fan bases hate him? Um, why is he
1: so divisive? You think? It's he, I mean, he, he says things as they are. He's incredibly kind of, um, true, bo- like bullshy and bold of the media. He doesn't take, you know, I mean, but go back to March and when Atalanta went on a really horrible run of form, he he went about four weeks in a row about speaking to the media. Like he just blacked out and they, and they, they'd roll the general director out instead rather than Gasparini. Um, I mean, there's so many, like the fact that, you know, the whole, the what happened with Inter and, which is a pretty disgraceful kind of episode in the sense yeah. that whatever you think of him as a person, he deserved, you could argue, to give anyone five matches is, is ridiculous. Yeah. To, particularly a coach like him that is a project coach, like to give him five matches is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he kind of, that whole scenario ended with him kind of publicly shaming the club and saying, you know, very provocative stuff about the club. And then with Milan, you've obviously got him dancing on the touchline. A five 0 yeah, we like, all remember that. that. <laughs> fact, no one will ever like, like any opportunity that Milan have to beat Atalanta. Yeah, this, it's almost it's not them beating Atalanta; it's them beating Gasparini. Like that is that is the headline. Like they, yeah. that is just and he he is he's just so divisive. And I, I I mean I'm only speaking for myself and the people I've spoken to. I think there is a respect for him as a tactician and for what he's done yeah. with very what seem like very ordinary groups of players like you look at that you know both of his eras at Genoa and then obviously Atalanta he's he is one thing you can never take away from him is his ability to rinse unseen potential out of players who otherwise would have just probably coasted through their careers um and you see the players that leave when they leave after playing with him and they never not not say that they're not they're not good players still, but they miss a bit of it's like they're missing something, and I, I think that speaks volumes about him as a coach.
0: Yeah, and you could say that probably about like guys like Papo Gomez recently who like left, and you know they're not they almost seem like a shell of themselves, right? I wonder though, and I'm curious from your, from your research, it seems like either he's. With the, with the talent that he's finding either he's creating these talented players like there's there, there's some talent in them but he's actually making them a lot better than they are or is he really just bringing the best out of them I, i'm curious which it is i mean i guess you could say both but what he's he's a proven track record with genoa and atalanta that he's turned players either people nobody cared about or players didn't want to give a chance and they become these superstars especially atalanta he brings in anybody and they all of a sudden become a superstar what do you think? You think it's more Gasperini, or what do you think is the reason for him uh, really blossoming the youth uh, with these programs? Oh,
1: it's, it's, it's hard to say because he's the interesting thing is, is it, it, there are many quotes of him talking about his kind of approach to to youth players, and he'll always say he prefers more experienced players because he's he, his, his I think it was, a, it was an interview of Fabrizio Romano like a few years ago where he said with an older player they've learnt um he's not having to build them up from the ground so much they have kind of preset ideas about not not how to play the game but things like like training hard and eating well and being professional yeah so i think he i I think i think the, the thing with the like bringing through the youth at atalanta was he that was a bit of a necessity because that squad was really was in a really bad way like they'd been through so many managers in about a 10 year cycle went up and down, up and down. Eddie Ray had kept them up just a few years before playing a really turgid, like (laughs) not a fun style of football at all. And he went in there and um, he didn't really have a lot of choice because if he was going to play the way he wanted to, which was, you know, three, four, three with, Mm -hmm. um, with kind of attacking license, then the only way to, play that way would have been to bring those young players through, would be to give Mattia Caldara a huge minute because he's that yeah, aggressive yeah. central piece of defence to play Conti and Spinazzola yeah. rather than um, Christian Raimondi for example, or yeah. Bukari yeah. Drame who were, were kind of more experienced but not suited to the roles so I think the, the thing about him bringing for youth Atalanta is a little bit, it's, a, it's not a misnomer but it's I think he had to do that like he, yeah. was, he was, those first five matches, he won one match, and he was really. It looked like he was going to be out, out again. Like he was at Inter, and it was only because of Atalanta's incredible, you know, their that, that track record of that of the Zingonia. Yeah. Like how, it's, it's remarkable, and I think he just thought, oh, how am I going to turn this round? I'm going to have to use these. I'm going to have to use the kids, and that's what he he said to President perkasi when when he after those five games, the president called into his office. I think lots of people were speculating that he was going to be sacked, but Pecasi said, "Look, i like I'm backing you. You do whatever you want." And he said, "Well, I want to play three four three, and I want to play with, you know, use these resources of youth academy kind of players." So I think it was a bit of a necessity. And the yeah. fact as as the years have gone by, he's kind of defaulted more to playing with older players like Papu uh, Illichich. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, do du- do signed when he was twenty six, twenty seven. So not a young. No. Certain, Muriel as well. I think that's is actually his preference is to play with those those types of guys. Yeah, I
0: think, I, I think you're right because you know he says he does he prefers experienced players, but I think what what he wants to do tactically, what he wants to set up formations, these younger guys who don't have the experience necessarily, but they're more. Uh, flexible and willing to try something different, as opposed to some of these older guys. Or so maybe yes, they've been around; they know how to do things. But maybe they don't want to do different formations, right? They don't want to try experimenting and anything like that. And I think um, what Gasparini's done tactically has been so fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah, there are very few Milanese that enjoy watching uh, Atalanta. I enjoy watching them, especially in Europe and even and even the league. They just play so freely, and they're honestly one of the most fun teams to watch. Tactically, what have you seen from them in your, in, in your, in your research uh, that's really opened your eyes that maybe you didn't know about or, or
1: appreciate as much until you really started deep diving into them? I think uh, kind of on a really niche level, I think, I think the, the, one, of the, one of the kind of headlines you, you associate with Gasparini's, particularly the Atalanta team, is like being a man-to-man pressing like, like system. And a lot of people compare him to Marcelo Bielsa in that way. Um, and as, just as the kind of two disciples of of man-to-man pressing. But I didn't realise that there's, like, whereas Bielsa's is very, um, you follow, wherever wherever they go on the pitch, you're a signed man, you follow them wherever, right. and you keep that um, Bielsa's, is like his plus one rule where you always have an extra man wherever you are on the pitch. Gasparini's is a little bit more niche in the sense that he doesn't, they don't press particularly, like, man-to-man in the, in the in the final third with the forwards, a lot of that is, they will use those to kind of cut off passing lanes rather than try and win the ball back. It's in the midfield where they like they will snap in and go man to man. That's why I mean you have Freuler and Derone and Cobmainers who are just perfect, yeah, like just ground eaters that could be described as uh, like water carriers, like people used to call Didier Deschamps as if yep. they sacrifice everything for running, yep. and and. Staying tight to their man and give, giving them a few yards to kind of encourage the pass into midfield, but being quick enough to snap in and get that first. And the amount I mean, God, the amount of goals that they've scored in this period through winning the ball in that middle third unreal, it's unreal, like un, uh, pretty much unseen across across yes. Europe. I think. Certainly in Italy,
0: certainly in Italy too, right? Yeah. For being a, known, a league known for Catenaccio and defensive play. And I thought here they are playing. It's funny because, like, During the beginning of Gasparini's era, Frank and I on on the podcast, we used to call them fun bad, right? They would always score goals but give up goals. And then over the years, especially as they've adapted to the European play, we've seen tactically that Gasparini has refined them and made them almost a better defense. oh, excluding this year, a better (laughs) defensive team each year. Uh, What did you see – what do you think – what did you see that Gasparini did that kind of shifted the mentality of just – outscore the other opponent as opposed to let's play tactically, let's play a little better defensive
1: and not give away so many goals. Well, I think, I think there are a couple of factors. So I think firstly, one of what, despite, so what's when Gasparini was at, at Juventus as in the, in, as an academy coach, we, he worked as an academy coach for a decade there. Um, and that was under coaches like uh, Trapattoni and Lippi and, um, but his his coaching style is very un, it's untraditionally Italian. Like it's it, it's much sim- more similar to Louis Van Hal's Ajax, for example. Like that's where I the, like that. yeah, and his idea of wherever you're wherever you're playing on the pitch, you need to essentially be like a central midfielder. You need to be comfortable on the ball. Um, we can't have Gasparini's the worst i like worst nightmare. Is being being kind of trapped into a corner of the pitch with a player who can't pass his way out of it, right. be under press. Um, so he needs he needs defenders to do that. Naturally, that that encourages a style of defender that isn't the most safe or cautious, and is why yeah you get guys like Rafael Toloy, Jose Luis Palomino, uh, Andrea Mazziello, guys who um, are very very good footballers in their own right. And good defenders, but they 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 sit more towards the chaotic end of the spectrum than they do the composed end of the spectrum. And in those early years, you just you saw the you saw what happened when you play three quite chaotic defenders together. Yeah. You know, you, you, you leak goals if you're playing with a really high line, and you've you know, and you lose the ball, you're going to surrender big chances. And I think over the years the recruitment got better. So you know, bringing guys like Christian Romero. Um, I know they've not had a great year this year, but bringing Mary Demerale in, guys, the the, the overall ability of those centre backs has got better and better. Yeah, and that has only that's only helped, and and it's a bit it's not a myth about them have, have, having a porous defence. But if you look at the kind of underlying numbers, um, 2019-20, for example, where they finished third, they scored ninety eight goals, which was the most for about sixty years. Like that's obscene, absolutely. Yeah. Obscene. And defensively, they conceded 48, which I think put them about 6th or 7th in the league. And people looking at the table would point at that and say, well, that's why they didn't win the league. But if you look at their expected goals conceded, it was actually more like 40. So they kind of conceded eight goals more than their expected goals had. Hmm. That can be put down to things like uh, someone scoring an incredible shot from 30 yards. Like I remember milinkovic Savic did it against them. Um, Yeah. It can be, you know, scoring from from acute angle from inside the penalty box, but a cute angle rather than centrally. Um, having a goalkeeper like Gallini who has got a big error in and yeah. things like yeah. that. So really, their defense was a lot better than the goals conceded. Perhaps showed a bit of luck in there, maybe mm-hmm. a bit of mistake in there. But to kind of have a, a kind of an eight goal swing—that's a that's a huge yeah. shift, really. And if they'd been a little bit closer to that, then they might have finished second rather than third, or even, even potentially come a bit closer to Juventus when they won the title. So, yeah, it's not you know they, it's not been a perfect defence, but I, I do believe it's it's better than perhaps the numbers make it look. Like I, th- I think I think yeah. they're very good. They're very good players within that line, and you, you just got enjoy the bit of chaos that they bring. It's you know it's it's always always. <laughs>
0: I agree, and I think you know we 've seen also the emergence of the wingback play has always been around and and A, but the emergence of Gosens and Hatabu are really kind of um, i mean obviously with Conti before and the guys before, but those two guys in particular really became household names because of the way they play, not only offensively. Uh, which is really what they were known for. But defensively as well, and also with, with Froehler and Darun back there, really they found a way, I think, before they made their deep, deep run in Champions League, the year before, they were scoring, outscoring their opponents and giving up a lot of goals. And there's something, tactically he did, whether well, it's a the little nuances that you're talking about that Gasparini did, that next year when they made that deep run, they were playing tight, close games, not low-scoring games. And, I mean, they took PSG to the very last seconds before they you know, finally lost. So... Something whatever Gasparini was doing was working magically. Obviously, having guys like Romero back there is going to help. Uh, but then COVID hit, right? And yeah, they're uh, they're a fun team to watch. But COVID kind of I think took it out of them. And over the last couple of years, certainly this year, it just wasn't the same because it's always we always joked on the podcast that Atalanta they start off worrying about Champions League and they start dropping the table, and then they start focusing about Serie A once they get a little break in Champions League, and they come back up the table, you know and uh, this year, they couldn't, like, focus, it seems, but, you know, it is what it is. But yeah. talk about players that kind of emerge under Gasparini's system here. Um, Obviously, you mentioned a guy like Papu Gomez, someone who, like you said, you were out there watching him ag- against Everton, not knowing who he was, and then all of a sudden he's, like, pulling strings left and right, really became Serie a MVP. I think it was a 29-20 season when he had, what, uh 40 goals? Well, 20 goals, 20 assists or whatever. Fantastic year. Talk about some of the players that kind of really stepped up under the tutelage of um, Giampiero Gasparini. I
1: think for, for me, Gomez will always be the like the, the the guy I will always kind of link back to me. Really starting to follow Atalanta, like he. I, I, I think I think he's as close a profile of player as there will ever be to Lionel Messi. I'm not saying he's as good, but like that. I don't think you'll see someone carry the ball in a way as similar to Messi. as Especially at a
0: pinnacle, I, I like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's, um, it's uncanny. And you know, if he was left footed rather than right footed, there might be even more kind of comparison between them. Um, I just loved, I loved the way I loved his attitude. Like obviously the, the way he kind of fell out, he didn't want to leave Atalanta. Like, like he, he would have, he would have stayed there, uh, forever. Like till he retired, he he owned a house and, um, his family lived in the city He would have stayed there for like forever, but as is the way with Gasparini, um, once you kind of um, fall on his bad side, there's no going back. And the Picasis couldn't—they couldn't couldn't not back Gasparini. Like he—he was the one who brought the success, so they had to kind of follow his what he wanted. Um, But Gomez was just everything that was great about that team, and there are just so many, there are just so many incredible goals. that He scored like this, the one against Sassuolo in the start of the 2019-20 season. <laughs> yeah. where he, beat, he, he kind of picked the ball up on the halfway line and the whole, it was like all, all the Sassuolo kind of defensive midfield just retreated back. Like they didn't want to, they didn't want to go to him <laughs> and they stepped back and back and back. And he just went as close as he could to them, took it around them and then just blasted it into the top corner. And he got a hat trick that day. Yeah. And, He's just a genius, he's an absolute genius player who should have been playing at a lot higher level Atalanta at like yeah. year before Gasparini got there um other ones I think there's some really kind of ones who've kind of gone under the radar like, like Mattia caldara's season that 2016 seventeen was yeah. remarkable. and it's such oh, a shame yeah. what happened kind of afterwards like the whole milan Juventus kind of experience we got loaned out and then sold I think I think that really damaged his yeah his standing but that was an incredible season that we you know you always remember the game against Napoli where he, he down to 10 men to what was it two they were two all against Napoli down to yeah. 10 men and Caldara charges up the other end to score the winner and his second of the match like that that is just that's Gasparini in a nutshell really like just absolute just chaos like chaos to win a game um and other than the kind of you've, you've obviously got the headline names you've got you know di Josavillačić and Duvan Zapata the yeah. big ones. Um but yeah, you know, people like spinazzolo in that first season just gave everything that Gasprini needed from his wingbacks because he there was a kind of asymmetry between him and Conti. Conti was like Conti was like the winger. Yeah. Off a lot of his best work came off the ball in the sense that he would run to the back post and score like yeah. an insane amount of goals whereas Spinazzola was like the cultured uh, crosser. And you kind of saw a little bit of that when, when Timothy Castagna came in. He was kind of in that Spinazzola mold. Yeah. is in the Conti mold. So there's kind of a bit of a continuity between the, that asymmetry. Um, but yeah, for me, pa- Papa Gomez will always be the the guy for me. And then although although Tone Cotman is is, is running him close, so the, like in a very poor season... Yeah. Or disappointing season, he was an absolute shining, shining light for them. And probably, so
0: deep, he can play in so many different positions
1: too. He can play the deep position, middle, attacking. He's very versatile. He's amazing. He's he, when he came for RZ Alkmaar, he, I mean, he captained them at 21, 22, played as a center back, um, played in like a midfield three, like his, his kind of. He, USP was always his long-range passing, like amazing long-range pass. And that was, I think, part of the reason when when they brought him in is that, you know, eventually Froehler and Daron are great, but they are going to age out. Yes. And you rather than just replacing, it's quite hard to replace them with guys who do exactly the same things they do. So you need to kind of look at areas that perhaps they're not, they're perhaps a bit deficient in and neither of them are particularly good long passes whereas cotman is one of the best long passes in europe so to bring him in was like a a real nod to kind of shoring up an area that they could improve in um but he's ended up playing as like when when during their their injury crisis this season he's ended up playing as like a like a number 10 like the box he'll probably end up playing left center back at some point next season like he Mm. looks perfect for that role um and I think he'll probably end up being captain as well like he's he's just oh. he's just a brilliant player a really brilliant player who um might not be in Bergamo for very for very long <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny because we anytime especially the last three, four years, anytime Atalanta brings somebody in, especially to the starting lineup or just buy him in general, we're like, look out. They're going to be a star in no time, right? Malinowski that happened, obviously now with Cook Miners. Um, I didn't realize how I, I knew he was versatile, but from what you're telling me, he's even more versatile than I thought. So I'm definitely going to keep an eye on that. we're not looking at him already. Um, and obviously guys like Morancic to bring in and all these, all these other guys, uh, they're, they're thriving under gas screening. Um, it's really a fantastic team. Um, I don't want to give away too much because I'm excited to read this book and I don't want to give away all the goodies from this book. But um, where do I want to put this? Um, how do you rank, I guess, what Gasparini's done uh, in his tenure so far? I mean, he's probably going to be there for a while unless something drastic happens, like in a poor performance. How do you rate what he's done with this team from where it started to where it is now?
1: I think. I mean, with, with, with the point you made about whether he'll still be there, it looked a little bit touch and go for a period when he was, you know, when he was ref- when they were going for that really poor run of form. I mean, they they only won two home games from about November to the end of the season. Their, their home form was really poor, really poor, and he was getting, you know, typically kind of grumpy and frustrated. Um, some of the signings they made haven't quite worked out yet. Like the the Jeremy Borger signing is not quite. I'm sure he will come good but it's it's not um hasn't fixed any of the holes that it perhaps needed to um and there was talk about him potentially being the next Napoli manager which would have been, you know, again another fan base that despises him but um that, that was you know that that was rumored around kind of April time but it looks like he's going to stay for at least another year which is which is good because I think he deserves the chance to kind of bring forward another have a you know have another kind of generation another cycle Um, because none of this is possible without him. Absolutely. None of it is. I mean, those players wouldn't have done what they'd have done without him. Um, In terms of ranking, I think over the past, I don't know, like like 10, 20 years, has there been many more impressive kind of rises from obscurity to kind of world-class, to become a a world-class elite team? I don't think not sustained i mean there are obviously obvious ones like you know lester leicester city winning the premier league yeah. and um and they're kind of you know that they're an established top 6 7 team now it's it's that that will be hard to beat but yeah. i think yeah. At- At- atalanta's is you know for a, a a team that their wage bill was like 14th highest in Syria, um you know a 22,000 seat stadium um a tiny kind of uh kind of expenditure on signings uh, for him to do what he did and you know and it it didn't even take very long his first season he took them up to fourth and you know would have got them champions league if it wasn't for the back then the top three got in yeah yeah it's it's you know going to the europa league and nearly knocking borussia dortmund out in his second season being minutes away from knocking psg out um the two performances against man united this season yeah you know which against the backdrop of a pretty underwhelming season it just shows what he can get out of a team even when it's running a bit low or ravaged by injuries um i think it's absolutely remarkable and you almost you kind of don't want it to end because you feel like once it does you don't know if either party is ever going to quite see this ever again
0: yeah sometimes it seems like um, teams and managers sometimes they find that perfect match and, the, and and it just works perfectly right we saw the Ranieri with Leicester City so it's Pioli with AC Milan and, and Gasparini with Atalanta and you hope you you hate to see that if they ever split split ways that you know you like to hope that they both continue to do well or at least Atalanta continues to do well and there's no guarantee right um, last thing I want to leave you on uh, in terms of the book and, and Atalanta what has Gasperini and Atalanta, really in these last four years, how have they changed the culture, and how has it really affected the community? Obviously, we know Bergamo got hit really hard with COVID, and and the team really rallied around that. But what is Atalanta, the club, and with Gasperini there, what has that meant to the the community there, and also how's the culture changed under his uh, under
1: his reign? Well, it's a even it's a it's a club and a fan base that will never ever demand success like the the if they're in Serie B, Serie A, Champions League. They the the support for that team will never um, will never drop off. It will never wane, and it's almost like all of this success has been a bonus. It's been an abs- It's been a a dream that they kind of don't want to wake up from. Um, it's just it's just completely unexpected. Um, and there are kind of spooky parallels in the sense that the the um, the, the kind of the, the identity of being being hardworking. Do you know? Kind of uh, don't don't t- do rather than talk. You know, put emphasis on on creating and construction and stuff like that. There are kind of spooky parallels with how Gasparini likes has got his team playing in the sense of yeah. it's like heavy, it's um, it's aggressive, it's the, 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 always like the, the, The work rate is is one of the founding principles and um they're kind of really spooky parallels in it this they that make it seem like this is this is that city's team is the uh, built in the, not just Gasparini's image is built in that city's image which I don't think you see very often in any walk of sport it's, it's just it's it's really kind of um yeah unusual and I, I think I mean he's he's got the freedom of the, he's got a freedom of the city. Like uh, he'd only been there three years and they'd already given him the freedom of the city. Like that's, that's how much that's how much they, they love him. And I think he'll, yeah, I I think he'll, he'll always be I mean, he's their greatest ever manager. Like, like I said, none of this ever will have happened without him. And I think his reputation there, no matter what happens, even if they, drop down a little bit next season or when he ends up leaving, I don't think his re- reputation could ever really be tarnished, ever be tarnished there. Yeah. And yeah, like I say, he got hit very hard during the pandemic and it's kind of cruel that that happened. You know, the, the, the night that took hold was the, the four, three beating of uh, or four so four, four nail beating of Valencia. It sounds yeah. the probably the greatest night in Atalanta's history will forever be associated with the pandemic taking hold it's, it's kind of a bit of a cruel it's a bit of a, a cruel c- circumstance yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah that that yeah it was it was a shame that they didn't get to see that season fully through to the end like in front of full stadiums and Gasparini famously said they, they didn't really want to play the rest of the season like behind closed doors they'd rather have been if been finished early like happened in France right. but, yeah, he's Gasparini is a is a adopted Bergamaschi now, and yeah, he just just bought. He's embedded his own culture onto the city, and vice versa for sure.
0: That's great. That's great. Um, can't wait for your book to come out. Can you tell the uh, the, the viewers uh, where when is your book coming out?
1: So it is released on July the eighteenth. Um, you can get it on Amazon Prime, you can get it at Pitch Publishing, the the amazing publishers who work with me on the book. Um, they have their own they have their own online store that you can get it from. And yeah, any any reputable book retailer hopefully should have a copy. So uh That's yeah, nice. July the eighteenth, about yeah, forty, forty, fifty days
0: nice nice i i certainly can't wait i'm definitely gonna re- i can't wait till that book comes out um where can where can people find you if they want to learn more about you whether it's on twitter or social media or whatever um where can they reach you
1: so uh my twitter handle is tom d underscore underhill um and uh yeah that'll probably be the only uh the best place to find me i suppose um yeah, and then like, the website that I've 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 ran for a few years or co-ran for a few years is at first time finish on Twitter mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, those are probably the two best best places Beautiful. to
0: find me. Beautiful. Well, thank you for coming on, talking about your book, talking about Atalanta. It's always fun to talk about these teams, and then and I always get excited when these kind of books come out. Um, do you have another project?
1: What's your next project in mind? Do you have anything yet, or just going you know, to wait and see after this book? I mean, I've needed a, I've needed a kind of detox from writing. Sure. <laughs> um uh, for a few months sorry um but i've kind of yeah it's kind of had a few thoughts i I wouldn't be surprised if there's something else syria related
0: okay
1: Uh, i love it's it's probably my favorite league to watch um i got to go over and watch an atalanta game in march in Bergamo, so i'm itching to get back to italy um so yeah i wouldn't be surprised if there's something else syria syria based but who knows who knows
0: right on well, we'll keep an eye out. Absolutely. No matter what it is, you know, we'll definitely keep an eye on it and make sure we, we help push it out for you. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, I'm, I'm definitely ecstatic that I got the chance to interview you and talk a little bit out the lot to talk about your book and yourself. Um, thank you for coming on and, uh, we'll definitely, you know, when the book comes out, we'll definitely help you push that out. We, you know, we, we definitely want to help anyone Syria related and, And get that stuff out, but this book sounds exciting. I mean, this Atalanta in general is such a fun team to watch as a neutral. What they do offensively—it's just a beautiful team to watch, honestly. And when they're at their best, they're one of the best in Europe in terms of the way they attractiveness of how they play and all the goals they score. So, I'm excited. I'm excited for this book to come. I know that people who are listening are going to be excited as well. And so, yeah, thank you again for coming on and uh, talking a little
1: Atalanta and your book. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, yeah, hope you hope you enjoy the book. Will do. Thank you.